The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear. Celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings, visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Thursday afternoon. I guess it's morning, Thursday morning, a little earlier this week. The normal one week to the NBA trade deadline. Uh, I'm not excited about it, though. Uh, joining us from Dallas, Texas, is Band McMahon, Timothy Band McMahon. And joining us from Boston, Massachusetts, is Tim Timmy Goodtimes Bontemps, who is so excited, uh, not about the NBA right now, McMahon, but about uh, the the Bonaventure boys being in the NCAA Ooh. tournament. Hey, no, no, talk, hold on. What, no, we, we ain't just going to do the Bonaventure boys for doing that. North Texas Mean That's Green right. up in that piece. All right. That's 13 right. seed. Going to upset the Boilermakers in the first round. So don't be all Bonaventure butt kissing just because it's Woj and Bontemps. I went to the Harvard of Denton County, damn it. <laughs> you, you gave him six years of your life. You deserve the you deserve the shine. Plus two at other institutions. <laughs> I am I am excited about Bonaventure though. We've had a great season. Uh eight ten regular season and conference tournament champions playing LSU on Saturday, one forty five at Assembly Hall. Should be a great game. Very and, excited about it. And putting on your analyst hat, which I know you always do studying the matchups. Like I know you have is, is Bonaventure going to win this game? I think we are going to win. Uh, it, it will come down to two things. Cameron Thomas is a potential lottery pick for LSU. He's a really good scoring wing. Um, we have a bunch of guys that can guard him, but he, he could obviously have a huge game. The two keys of the game though, are going to be whether we can make threes uh, Bonaventure. That's Bonaventure, every. That's every college basketball. That game. is every. That is every college basketball game. But our we are particularly streaky with that. We basically only play six guys, and we play one center and five perimeter guys. And if our perimeter guys get hot from three, we have one of the best defenses in the league. We are in the country. We should win the game. And the other key is our six ten center with a seven eight wingspan, Osuno Shuni, uh, who blocks about four shots a game, needs to not get in foul trouble. So if those if, if he stays out of foul trouble and we can hit a couple threes, I feel good about our chances. All right. Mel, well, now that my insomnia has been cured. <laughs> so we had a um I mean for the folks who listen to this pod on Friday, uh we had a very active Wednesday in the NBA. There was uh the first trades of trade season that came down. We'll talk about those in a minute. Um some awesome performances. Uh, in the NBA, um, and we had a changeover in the lead in the Eastern Conference. Um, not that that's that important in March, but um, it's something that has been coming. Where um, the Nets uh, had a comeback win in uh, in Indiana, uh, Harden had a forty point triple double. The Sixers lost at home, which doesn't happen very often. They didn't have Joel Embiid, and then they lost. Seth Curry in that game. By the way, Seth Curry sprained both ankles on one play. Um, that is not something you see every day. Uh, and no, also an NBA record. <laughs> and uh, Steph Steph Curry got hurt as well. Both brothers got hurt the same night. Uh, one of them hurting both his ankles. So not a great night for the Currys. But uh, the Bucks come back, uh, win in overtime. Giannis, uh, well, they got to overtime because Furkan Korkmans hit a three with under a second left, but Giannis was great in overtime. He's been on a hot streak. Um, and uh, Bontemps, it led you to really evaluate the MVP race with where it's at because, by the way, like since the All-Star break, LeBron has put together quite a few games. They've got a game with uh, Charlotte tonight. We'll see how that goes. But um, the MVP race with Embiid, facing being out for a, a few weeks here with this knee bruise um, continues to develop um, and continues to be interesting for various reasons. Yeah, it's it's a strange race this year because obviously we've talked a couple of times on the pod about the straw poll I did a few weeks ago and kind of where that stood and the, the balanced nature of the race. And look, Kevin Durant was in that mix, right? He's missed six weeks with this hamstring injury. He's going to miss at least a couple more. 
he's out of the mix now. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are still kind of hovering around fifth or sixth in the West. For as good as Nikola Jokic has been, he's not winning MVP if they're fifth in the West. Um, you know, and then you obviously have LeBron playing well. You mentioned jo- you watched Joel Embiid, who was right up there with LeBron at the top of the ballot. Now being out for a couple of weeks, we'll see how long he's out. But, you know, there's three guys to me that are playing as well or better than anybody in the league who are playing for teams that are second, third, and fourth in the East right now that are completely being left out of the discussion for MVP for different reasons. One is James Harden because of what happened in Houston at the beginning of the season. I don't think he's trade. completely out of it. Yeah, I, I hear well, him mentioned a lot. He's, but, let, but let's ask the question. The, let's ask the question. Is him demanding a trade and pulling those shenanigans, does that invalidate him as an MVP candidate? I don't know if it invalidates him. I, I do think it can be used as a tiebreaker. Um, you know, against for, him. Yeah, against him, yes. Uh, you know, for example, if if I'm getting down to the end of it and I and I'm and on my ballot, I'm trying to decide. Uh, and I and I figure, look, I'm looking at all these things. Is is Damian Lillard more valuable than James Harden? You know, I run a bunch of stats and you know eye tests and all that kind of stuff, and I, and I can't make my decision. I'm gonna say, well, look, Dame stayed put in Portland and carried an injury ravaged team uh, all season long versus a guy who you know decided he wasn't you know he wasn't interested in continuing to carry the franchise, so he was going to go hop on a bandwagon. I, well, I, I think I don't it is really a tiebreaker. I don't have a problem with him demanding a trade. I mean, a certain percentage of the league demands a trade. There's a whole bunch no. of trade demands that happen every year. That no, it was clearly a great business decision for him. Right. I I mean, I, it's more about the whole, I'm going to go to strip clubs uh, while my team's having practice. Yeah. You know what, though? I'm not, I don't, again, we can we can complain about the way or nitpick about the way that he executed his, his trade demand. It was ultimately successful. I don't think that, I don't think you can hold that against him because that didn't that did not impact his value on the court. Um, and again, ultimately, I, I I think that the whole trade demand and all that stuff it can only be used as a tiebreaker, not a determining factor. I don't think there's any chance James Harden is winning MVP this year because if LeBron James is healthy, I don't think there's any way that a majority of voters are going to give James Harden the MVP, whether he deserves it or not, after what happened with the Rockets. Uh, and not give it to LeBron. So uh, now look, certain things could happen there. The Lakers could fall down the standings. LeBron could get hurt. Like maybe something could happen. But if the Lakers are about where they're supposed to be, even if it's third or fourth in the West, and LeBron is healthy and good the rest of the year, I don't think James Harden is going to be able to pass him because of that. Because there's a bunch of people who will say, I'm not going to vote for this guy. And I think for the same reason, Yas Senekupo has been playing mm-hmm. as well or better than anybody in the league, too. They've been probably the two best players in the league for the past six weeks. And I don't think there's any way Giannis can win a third-straight MVP. I mean, if they win every game the rest of the season, maybe he can win a third-straight MVP. But three guys in the history of the league have done that. Bill Russell, Wilt, and Larry Bird. Larry Bird was the last one to do it 35 years ago. I don't think that Giannis is going to be given that honor, uh, again, if, there's, if LeBron is sitting there having a really good year. So, you know, you can say that's unfair to both those guys, but I think if you look at the reality of the situation, I think it would take a lot of things breaking in their favor for either one of them to get that award, no matter how well they're playing over the next two months. Yeah, uh, although you could argue that what's happened to the Rockets, who've gone right into the tank, although injury-related, only burnishes Harden's... Well, and the fact that Kevin Durant has missed the past six weeks and the Nets have won 14 of the last 15 games without him playing at all. Right. Like, I mean, Harden, Harden is playing like the MVP of the league. I just don't think I think that I think that stuff during the beginning of the season, like Tim said, it's going to be used as a tiebreaker. And for as much as people might move him up their ballot, I don't it's, it's hard for me to see him moving far enough up to get to the top, whether he deserves it or not. Listen, what, what's happened with the Rockets? That's why uh, Christian Wood's probably going to be on my MVP ballot. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's coming back, so we'll no, see. He, he came back last night, and mm, uh, yeah, they still they they might have some other issues as well. You think so? Um, so uh, now where where do you evaluate him? Be like, I, I don't like the idea that a guy loses his ability to win an award because he got hurt. Well, Embiid was. In, in my opinion, had established himself as the front runner before he got hurt. But 
listen, availability is, is part of it. And, you know, we'll see. That's how what much, LeBron would say, baby. Yeah, we'll see That's how much one of time. LeBron's biggest things he's, he's talked about the last few years. Well, look, and, and, and when Embiid was, you know, uh, complaining, whining, crying, or whatever you want to put it about not being all NBA last year. It's like, dude, you missed a ton of games. And it's not his fault, but he is a guy who has trouble staying on the floor. And and that's part of it. If, you know, if you, pl- if you miss 20 plus games and another guy's playing every night and the production's similar, I mean, you know, I don't think we need to look up the the definition of value to figure out the guy who's playing every night's more valuable. Yeah, that's that's the tricky thing for Embiid, right? He's already missed as of today, he's missed 10 games this season. That's a quarter of the season. So, let's say he misses if he misses another week and a half or two weeks, he's going to miss another 5 or 6 games minimum, or probably maybe closer to 10. Um if he if he misses 20 games out of a 72 game season, it's going to be difficult for him to win that award. Now, again, I don't think it rules him out. And I think he has a better chance of winning it than Harden and Giannis because A, he hasn't won it. And B, he doesn't have some of that baggage attached to him that those guys do for different reasons. And I think if the Sixers do have the best record in the East and and Bede remains as good as he was before he got hurt when he comes back, I do think he has a chance to win. But there's no question to Tim's point, if you're playing – 75% 75% of the games and your competitors, whether it's Jokic or LeBron or Dame or whoever, are playing 95% of the games or 98% of the games, like that's a pretty significant difference if a guy plays an extra 700 minutes over the course of a season. That's going to be hard for him to make up. Uh, let, let me ask this. How good or how high do the Nuggets need to finish in the standings for you to you know, seriously consider Jokic being – the MVP, how high do the Blazers need to finish for you to seriously consider Dame being the MVP? Because <laughs> they both have performed at that level without question. I think Denver has to finish higher than Portland does. Mm-hmm. I think Denver, because of how Denver played last season um, and getting to the conference finals, I think that people view them as a top four team in the West. Right now they're fifth. I think if I think if Denver was sitting where Phoenix was and was second in the West, right. and was sitting in first where the Jazz are in the West, I think Jokic's candidacy would have a lot more juice to it. Well, than it also does right Dame, Dame's his two best supporting players, Nurkic and McCollum, have missed huge well, swaths. No, I agree. I agree with that too. But people don't look at Portland like even though Pete, Portland had some juice coming into the season as a team that could be a top four team, maybe in the West. People, they lost in the first round last year, right? For as good as Dame was. It's not like people looked at them and said, that team is definitely a team that should be competing for the Western Conference title. And they've had the injuries on top of it. Denver's mostly been healthy. And, um, well, I guess they had COVID, some COVID issues for a while. But they've had Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic basically the whole season. And they're in fifth. And if they were first or second, I think he'd have a real shot. And I think he has to get to first or second to have a real shot. I think if they're fourth or fifth in the West, as well as he's played, I, I think it's going to be hard for him to win MVP, especially if he finishes behind LeBron. Like, I, I think they have to be ahead of the Lakers for him to have a real shot. Well, I, I will say this. Dame, right now, we can go ahead and, you know, get the the the, uh, the sculpture uh, made for him and, and, and sent to Portland. He is the Cajones Factor MVP, and it's not close. His <laughs> clutch numbers are insane. Do you realize his clutch shooting splits – are 60, 53, 100. It's pretty good. 60, 53, wow. 100. And I'm so high, many I'm of those. Volume. Yeah. So many of those threes, not only are they logo shots, but like. They're contested logo shots or they're he, falling out of bounds, you know, with two hands in his face. I mean, it's unbelievable. So like going back and watching, I didn't watch that game live, but I went back and watched the highlights. Um, basically all of his baskets and like new Orleans is not a good defensive team. It'll be interesting by the way, they, the Blazers play the uh, Pelicans tonight again, um, second time in three days. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they're like, look, we we may lose this two pack of games in Portland, but we are not going to lose by this guy putting up a big number on this, whether they attack him. But the way that he fires off those, he's so aware 
of how the double teams come and everything teams have done for him. He's really managed his game so and developed his game so well to get those shots off. I mean, his I mean, you could argue that his case for MVP is the definition of the award because we're talking about a team that's banged up, right? Mm-hmm. And a team that ranks, I believe at this moment, I didn't check today, but this was the case yesterday. 29th in the league in defense. And I realize he's a part of that. Um, 29th in the league in defense. So what that means is, is that there's so many more clutch games for him to have to be performing in because he doesn't have a supporting players and his team can't defend. So games that maybe they would have a, a lead in come down to him trying to pull some comeback or trying to hold some lead because they can't get stops. The, the reason that they're, I think they're 23 and 16 right now. The reason that they're they above are. 500 is because of the stuff that he does. I mean, he is the, I mean, and you're right. They aren't in second place, but like him, if they didn't have him, they would be, they would be like in 13th place. Like well, the, ir- the definition of it. The irony of Dame's situation in relation to the MVP race is that his like pseudo enemy, Russell Westbrook, is yeah. the model for him winning the award. If you go back through time, you basically have to be a top two or three team in your conference to have any shot of winning MVP. The one guy who hasn't done that is Russell Westbrook. And why did he win the award a few years ago? He was insane in the clutch. And he was on a team that exceeded expectations after Kevin Durant left, and he had the narrative behind him, right? Well, and he averaged and a triple double for the for the, the season. And he, and he, well, the narrative part was the triple double part. That that yeah. obviously was a huge narrative in his favor. And if you look this year at the way this MVP race is kind of unfolding, there to me there is a pretty clear path for Dame to kind of fall into. He's the guy who stayed in a small market. He has mm-hmm. always been loyal to playing in Portland. Like you said, Tim, he's the polar opposite of Harden in this instance, right? He he is and I'm not and I'm not saying that as a criticism of Harden. I, I'm all for guys making decisions they want to make, but Dame has vocally talked about wanting to stay there. He's had all these clutch moments. They've had all these injuries. He's kept them in the mix in the West. They're right now a game and a half behind the Lakers for fourth in the West, despite not having, you know, CJ just came back. Nurkic is going to be back soon. So could Portland go on a little run here? maybe get to fourth in the West, have Dane keep playing like this. He plays every single game. He's always there. He's always healthy, playing all the time. Um, I do think there is a path there for him that, again, I think isn't there for Harden and Giannis and some of these other guys because he doesn't have that baggage. And it would be a great story if the guy in Portland dragged his team to a top four seed and won MVP and got rewarded for staying there and having all these great moments and, you know, fighting through adversity and all this other stuff. Like it, I, there's a real path there for him that I think isn't for some of these other guys. Yeah. And when you look at MVP moments, I mean, how many of those has he had? And, uh, uh, oh, a ton. Uh, yeah. What, a ton. And it's like the, you know, with the game on the line, you're shocked if he misses at this point, it's, um, it's what he's doing. It's, it's the best clutch, you know, half a season. That you know that we've seen in recent memory. By the way, you yeah, know but he's what, competing against himself. I mean, these are his previous years where he's done this. Yeah, well, there, there's a reason. Dame time's a thing. By the way, though, uh, Harden's clutch numbers also pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, he's been absolutely incredible for the Nets. Like, I mean, we all we all came into the season thought that like thinking the Nets could be really good. Yeah, with Katie and Kyrie. And, and they were pretty good, but they had a lot of flaws, right? They were losing a lot of games to bad teams. Their defense was awful. And without Durant for the past six weeks, like I said, they've ripped off 14 to 15. They're now on top of the East. They look great. And Harden is averaging like basically a triple-double. He's playing out of his mind every game. Like every game, he's incredible. Durant has been out. He's going to be out for two months, it looks like, because he's at least two weeks away and probably even longer. Um, but let's just say he's two weeks away. That's two months with a hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. Kyrie, we know, has missed games and will continue to miss games here and there with various things. Right now it's a groin injury. Previously it was a shoulder. Who knows what else will cause Kyrie to miss games. And yet there the Nets are in first place. And if they outlast the Sixers and get that number one seed, that's going to be a meaningful feather in the cap. Um, and then, you know, then you've got LeBron, who is having another spectacular defensive season. I, you know, I always have to qualify this when I talk about 
defensive RPM because there are certain people, you know, certain people that think it's it's unfairly weighted to big men and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. But it is a metric that we have. He's second in the league right now in defensive RPM, in uh, among amongst all players, and um, he's you know routinely putting up spectacular games offensively. Um, the Lakers need him more than ever right now because uh, Anthony Davis is out. And Anthony Davis's injury level is is you know, his injury is being pushed out as we suspected um, a week ago when we were on this pod, we suspected both Durant and, and uh, AD would be out longer. And it turns out that they are, um, you know, he doesn't have these half court shots that he's making because a lot of the times the Lakers take care of business, but his overall resume is very strong. The Lakers are a top three defensive team and he's a driver in that. Well, they're the best defensive team in the league. And just to, just to, just to have our facts, right. Cause I know, Certain people will pay attention to this. Uh, Rudy Gobert is the best guy in defensive RPM by a good amount, and LeBron is tenth, which is by 10th. no means by no means um, is that by no means is that man is a shot. It's just that he's uh, he's playing terrific defensively, and they're still number one in the league with with uh, Anthony Davis out. Right, I, I mean, mean their, their defense at, uh, has been great at small forwards. He might have been second amongst. He's small second. Forwards. He's second to uh, DeAndre Hunter among small forwards. Okay, apologies. Thank you for checking me on that. Yep. But either way, I, he's having a very good season. At both ends. Frank Vogel's uh, the fact that Frank Vogel has had this team playing defense the way it has since he got there. I, I think has not gotten talked about nearly enough. I, I I really last year my skepticism about the Lakers was about their. I was curious if they'd be able to guard at a high enough level, and they've been awesome on defense from the moment he's gotten there. I, he deserves a ton of credit, and so does LeBron because, like you said, LeBron has been way more committed at that end than he was certainly during the latter days he was in Cleveland, and it it's really showed. Like they they really get into people and lock people down. Okay, so what we're what we're describing here is what's going to be a salty MVP race because we're going to have we know that Joel wants to win it really bad. All right? He's made that very clear publicly and he's made it clear privately. We know LeBron wants to win it. <laughs> LeBron LeBron didn't even have his hands on the uh, Larry O'Brien award last year and he was already campaigning to try to get this year's MVP. Okay? We know that Dame is perpetually feeling overlooked and underappreciated and totally drives him as well. And then we have Harden and and Giannis who are former MVP winners. Well, and and Harden a high level. Harden feels dis- Harden look, if you ask Harden or the people around him they think the well, guy should have won like the like the last was, five. He feels. I was, was going to say how many times how many times did we get the 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 PR campaign from Houston that Harden should win MVP? And I'm not and I'm not even again like he was a top two finisher four out of five years, right? Well, and, like, and I tell he, you, I tell you this, you know, Sean Marks better step up his Twitter game if he's going to keep Harden happy because <laughs> Daryl Morey has been a force to be reckoned with in his in his you know social media MVP lobbying for years, and now he's on Embiid's side. Yeah, um, you know, Maury's constantly in um, his uh, PR campaign or constantly uh, in flux because, you know, he had to sort of do a mea culpa on why he campaigned against Russ Westbrook uh, when he came to Houston. <laughs> but he, did, he, he he really didn't. He just kind of, you know, kept it moving. And they just started <laughs> right. to refer, they just proudly referred to him as a former MVP. Right. They never so referred say, to him as the most undeserving MVP in recent memory, only a former MVP. Whatever Daryl says about it, I'm just going to put off to the side and say, thank you for weighing in, Daryl. I don't care. Um, guys, it's going to be, it, it, this is going to get heated. This is really going to get heated. And no one's talking about Luca, who, by the way, is really getting hot and the Mavericks are starting to rack up wins. Yeah. And Luca's uh, shooting, by the way, is as awful as he shot the ball from three early on. For the last month and change, like month and a half, 43% from three-point range. When he shoots it that well, <laughs> I don't know what you do with him. I mean, look, there's people in the league who I've talked with about Luca for over a year now who basically said, I don't understand why anybody doesn't just go under every single screen and make him shoot threes because he hasn't proven he could shoot. Because if you let him get in the lane, you're absolutely screwed. And now if he starts knocking down threes at anywhere near 40% or certainly over 40%, there's literally no way to guard the guy. Yeah, but but the Mavs are an eight seed, and that's why there's no MVP conversation there. Right, but I'm saying like he's playing great. And McMahon, you wrote the story after the game Wednesday night uh, against the Clippers. We um, had 42, and Ty Lue said, "I thought we played pretty good defense." 
Yeah. Um, and and Luca just turned Paul George into a oh. pretzel a couple of times. Oh, oh. Listen, the the, sure the he missed the step back, but Paul George was both hands on the floor to keep his face from smacking into the hardwood crossed up. I mean, that's you know, again, it's it's one thing <laughs> if it's Harden doing it against Wes Johnson, a guy who's probably playing in like Istanbul or something right now. It's another thing when it's Paul freaking George, you know, one of the best perimeter defenders that that we've had in the league for the last decade. And he crossed him up ridiculously on that. And then the 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 dagger at the end where Luke hit the floater, crossed him up, same type of thing. And Paul George is standing on the on the wing, like ten feet away from the play while Luke is you know, knocking the floater down, just you know, he's he's looking for his jock strap. I I know. Paul George was playing was trying to play good defense. You know, like it, it, this is always it always I annoy people when I talk about it. I don't like shaming defenders. Yeah, for getting crossed over, or I don't for like getting dunked on. Yeah. Dunked dunked. Now, there's some times this year when Ennis Cantor has been dunked on where his defensive effort was—I don't want to say it's a a blanket statement—but if you watch the highlights, Paul George is up on Luca, trying to prevent him from from you know getting off his step back. He's trying to pick his pocket and stuff like that. I I don't like it, but yes, he. He made Paul George look silly a couple of times, and you know he's awesome too. But he won't even be in the he won't even be on ballots. All right, I mean, well, he, we he, haven't he, we've gone through all of this, and we haven't even talked about Steph, Steph Curry at all, who's been unbelievable this year and has a, a Warriors team with very little talent around him. You know, in the mix at least in the West too, and he's playing out of his mind. People are going to be into their feelings on this MVP race. People are going to be into their feelings on it. When we get down towards the end of the year where there's always some campaigning and the last few years has only been like only one or two guys. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't really been that close guys. This is, there's going to be some stuff said, <laughs> um, and some stuff implied and some pressure put out there. Um, because MVP campaigns typically are a lot more subtle than the other campaigns. You know, teams mount campaigns for six man of the year, most improved coach of the year. They like put stuff together. It's it's almost considered a little bit uncouth to have to campaign for your MVP. It's sort of puts below teams for that award. So I don't think that there's going to be like team generated campaigns but i think the players themselves either through words or actions it's going to really be important to them and i can't remember a year where there's been this many viable candidates this deep into the season like man do you agree with that point i i don't i don't know if i agree with that uh maybe i'm a little too close (laughs) yeah i not, not maybe i'm been a little bit too close to uh the Houston Rockets over in, in recent years. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they've led the league radio in, shows. I don't but know I'm if they've led the league in like, tooth. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm yes, just saying there was plenty. There was plenty of chatter in in Milwaukee for Giannis to win the past couple MVPs. There was certainly a ton of chatter coming from Oklahoma City that uh, that Westbrook no, should win the MVP. But it's not the same as like these teams that like design marketing campaigns and send out you know, uh, trinkets in the mail and like have like graphic elements. Yeah. It's it, like some of these are like miniature um, present, you know, miniature like campaigns for uh governor or something. By the way, have uh, you ever used, have you ever actually used the, uh, the, the spicy pea uh, Tabasco sauce? I can't say that I did. Oh, I use it all the time. It's, I mean, listen, it's not as, you know, it's not Tabasco quality, but it's free. And it was a big old bottle, so I oh, put it to use. This Texan. Do you hear this, Bontemps? It's unbelievable. This Texan listen, using first TV. of all, first of all, Texans like free stuff, too. Okay? That's my favorite four-letter what word. What does a bottle F-R- of Tabasco sauce cost? Two ninety five. No, that one costs zero dollars and zero cents. <laughs> F-R-E-E, my favorite four-letter word. But I've got a few more for you if you want to question me. Yeah, I'll bet. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. 
and starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We have a trivia question, which this week is going to be provided by... CarMax. Don't just buy a car. Love your car with a new CarMax Love Your Car guarantee. I'm terrible at trivia, so Bontemps, this is going to be on you. Go ahead. <laughs> we'll see what I can do. Okay. Presented by Ban McMahon, and it's, uh, you know, it, it was a wise business decision, clearly, for James Harden to to make his departure from Houston, whether you like the uh, the technique or not, but it's been a rough go for the Little Rockets without him. The injury ravaged Little Rockets broke the franchise record set actually by the San Diego Rockets. Oh boy! For the longest losing streak, uh, it's up to eighteen games and counting now. <sighs> Gentlemen, the last eleven of those are by double digits. Oh, the last eleven. There are two teams, according to our stats and information group. There are two teams in NBA history who have had longer double digit. Losing streaks. Name those two teams. The 70, I'm just going to guess the 76ers. No, they capped out at 10 during that. Oh. 26 overall, but 10 by double figures was their longest double-digit losing streak. The two, the two teams that come to mind are the 7 and 59 Hornets, or Bobcats, I guess, nope. at that point. Nope. Oh. Nope. And, the, and the, the Denver Nuggets in 2002-2003 before they drafted Carmelo. No, but the 1950 Nuggets had 11. The 2000 Clippers also had 11. I'll 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 boil this down to I'll give you the decade. This was in the 90s. There are two teams in the 90s that had 12 game double figure losing streaks. In the 90s. In the 90s. Uh the Grizzlies? Nope. I'm trying to think. I was. I, I guess them as an expansion team. I remember. To... I, will, I will... Weren't, weren't the Raptors when they're f- when they first came in the league? Guys, weren't they just you guys horrible? Stink. I mean, they might have stunk, but they're not one of the two. I only have one other. I'll just. This is just a flat out guess because the Clippers were like the worst team. Like I just remember playing at the sports arena. Horrible. I'll just say the Clippers, even though I. I'm just that's a just total guess. I don't I couldn't tell you what year or anything. No, okay. Bon Temps one was a a recent expansion team. Uh I'll give although they were they're about five years in at this point. And the other was was near and dear to uh to my heart as a as a troubled teen growing up. So <laughs> I would say the, the the Mavs the year before they got kid would then be one, I'm guessing. Yeah, the the yes, the '92 Dallas Mavericks. Oh, '92, even even earlier, and then uh, I would guess the other one would have been the Wolves in like '94, '95. Yeah, it was the it was 1994 Minnesota Timberwolves, and that actually uh, <laughs> that is technically the longest double figure losing streak ever because it spanned the end of the 93, 94 and the start of the 94, 95 season. Mm, okay. Well, those are some bad teams. Rockets, congratulations. <laughs> you're in great. You're in great 30 years. Company. People will be talking about you. Some really good company. Anytime you're in a, uh, anytime you're in a discussion with the Minnesota Timberwolves about losing, you're losing a lot. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. The Rockets made a trade, um, another trade, uh, and picked up a first-round pick. They traded P.J. Tucker to the Bucks on Wednesday, um, a number of a couple of trades that were done. Um, I, saw a, I saw a lot of reaction to this trade, like, wow, what a great move by the Bucks!" And, like, they did add a play. But I just have to say, yeah. um, P.J. Tucker is having the worst year of his career. Uh, and, and his lowest scoring, worst shooting. Um, I checked his defensive RPM last year. He was, uh, I think ninth in the whole league or no ninth amongst power forwards in, um, defensive RPM. Uh, right now he's like 51st. Um, so, uh, and I, obviously I know he's, he's better than that. He's a valuable defender, but he also had career lows in motivation. So how, how do, how do we account for, what PJ Tucker the Bucks are getting before I talk about how this trade was put together uh, to be determined. I don't put just a ton of stock into evaluating his performance for the Rockets this year because look, he wanted to get the hell out of there. Um, you know the 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 extension talks fell apart. Then once Harden was on his way out, it made no sense for the Rockets to reengage there. You know Harden, or I'm sorry, uh, Tucker was a day late to camp. It was clear that he, you know, felt disrespect. I mean, he, he was very honest, felt disrespected, blah, blah, blah. He's been trying to get out of there all year long. Um, you know, he, he's, he was a complete non-factor offensively. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he is 35 with a lot of miles on his legs and Lord knows that they put a lot on him the last few years in Houston. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he gets to Milwaukee is, is re-energized and, you know, obviously, it's not tough for him to to adapt. You know what his role is going to be, and, and plays really well there. And you know, the the Bucks didn't give up just a ton. I mean, the first round pick is a swap, and it, it's yeah. it's a swap where it's top ten protected, which is really irrelevant because there's no way the Bucks end up you know in the top ten. But basically, they're going to get the Rockets' second-round pick. So, like, right now, it, they'd get, I think, the third pick of the second round, and the Rockets would get the 25th overall pick in the first round. So, I mean, it's not nothing, but it's not a huge difference. So they moved back, you know, let's say they would have moved back in the draft about seven or eight or nine. Let's just say it's between seven and ten spots, probably what it will cost right. them moving back in the draft. They got the Rockets to take on... Uh, the forthcoming years of DJ Augustine's contract, which Augustine has not had that great of a year for them, and it and it and they also put DJ Wilson into the deal. Yeah, which, which is a little developmental flyer for the Rockets, you know. But he was, you know, he was making a few million dollars, and that helps lower their salary. They were right up against the tax, or they were into the tax, up against the uh, hard cap. Right. Um. So the the Bucks got some considerations there. Now the, um, the the other thing the Rockets did that so the Bucks is part of the Harden deal. Cleveland sent the Bucks 2022 unprotected first rounder to Houston. Houston got the Bucks to bump that back to 2023. And the thought process there is, you know, Drew Holiday will be a year older. Middleton will be a year older, you know. They they think that the 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 Bucks will be worse in 2023 obviously in 2022 so you know again it's it's not nothing but it's not like a you it's know. an unprotected pick so that's not the worst um right but it's an unprotected yeah. pick that they owed anyways and they just moved right. it back a year yeah this this entire discussion sums up that pj tucker was worth nothing and the reason he was worth nothing is because he's been awful right so by like, the way the other option i pretty much think that the 
Rockets had was um, Miami, which yeah. Miami ended up doing for Ariza. And Miami gave, for Trevor Ariza, Miami gave Myers Leonard his contract, basically. And all his baggage. And, yeah, well, he's never going to play for the Thunder. Right. He's not going to play in the league again this year. I mean, he was already out for the year anyway. Um, they gave a 2027 second round pick. So that was the kind of the other deal on the table for PJ Tucker. So right. So yeah. they got they got a, they got a better deal than that. And and I don't, yeah. you know they didn't get nothing, but you know they obviously didn't get a huge return. I actually uh, don't know the if they did. I actually don't know if they did get a better deal than that. I they I mean DJ Oxen has a bad contract. I mean they took on they took on money. And essentially took on money to, I mean, yes, they slid this packet pick back a year, but you're, but you're making a good point Tim. It's a pick they already had, like, yes, it's a year later. So there's, I guess, a better chance that it's really bad, but Giannis is under contract. Uh, Chris Middleton's under contract. Drew Holiday probably will stay there and be under contract. So there's only a floor on how low that pick is going to be. And, you know, they also took on DJ Wilson, who Milwaukee has been trying to trade for two years. So, I mean, look, I, P.J. Tucker might go to Milwaukee and be the perfect fit there. He certainly has done that in the past. You've seen it in Houston for years. He he could play as a small ball center for them. He could space the floor and hit threes. He is a, a really tough physical player. He can even sort of guard a guy like Joel Embiid. He can, he's had success guarding Kevin Durant. I mean, if he plays like he has in the past, he could be a useful player. But in a market where there's nobody available, that guy went for basically a five to seven spot pick swap and – Houston also took on money. Well, why? Why yeah. was that the case? Because he's been awful this year. And yeah. well, look, no, PJ Tucker is a guy who a bunch of teams wanted, but nobody wanted to give up much to get him. And that's why the Rockets took so long to trade him to where it finally got to the point where Tuck was like, "Look, I ain't playing for you anymore. So figure something out." Well, and and that was that and was he did that in the layup lines, <laughs> in the layup right. lines of well, the first game yeah. after the break. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, look, that whole situation was a mess, and obviously they had to move on from him. But look, if he was playing like he was the past couple of years, they would have gotten more back for him, right? Like I, I, I ran, I asked several executives yeah. last night, like, "Hey, do you think this guy has anything left?" Some of them said, "Absolutely not." Some of them said he can maybe help him a little bit, but people are not like thinking in the league that this was a a giant swing move for them. And look, Tucker could go in there and play really well, but to me, the the upside for the Bucks here is that they get off of that Augustin contract, which was terrible when they signed it, and at least Tucker gives them a guy who could be a really good fit in the playoffs and does potentially allow them to play small in a way they couldn't otherwise, mm. as opposed to having DJ Augustin, who was not going to be useful in the playoffs and is not a guy that would be a factor for them. And the fact that they got him for basically free and cleared up some space under the hard cap to add another player or two on a buyout market or in another small deal, like that is a win. But I, I just look at this and I, I was honestly kind of confused about it from Houston standpoint because they took on money and like, I just didn't think they got that great of an asset though. Who knows? Maybe two years from now, the Bucks will have a ton of injuries and they'll win 30 games and they'll get a really good pick. And I'll look silly for saying that. So, also, I was saying this about the Bucks. So the Bucks also traded Tory Craig, who just never could play for them, was injured early on, um, and you know he got hit, he broke his nose and was out for a while. Um, I thought that was a good signing for them. I actually liked that signing more than almost any of their other signings. And then he didn't work out for them at all. They offloaded him to Sacramento for free, basically for or Phoenix. to uh, Phoenix, Phoenix. Sorry, for free. They were like, "Here, take him." Um, uh, doesn't Milwaukee now need a backup guard? And um, what what are they going to do about that? I mean, yes and no. Like, would it help them if they had another guard? Sure. But they've got uh, they've got Drew Holiday. Giannis handles the ball a lot. Chris Middleton can handle the ball some. Dante DiVincenzo can handle the ball some. Like, I, I don't, you know, it would help if they have another body to get through the regular season. But I think when they're in the playoffs – those are going to be their primary ball handlers anyway. So I, I don't think that's a huge deal, personally. That's fair. By the way, D.T. Augustine might get a lot of minutes for Houston because I'm not sure how much we're going to see of John Wall the rest of the year. You know, Chris Haynes had the had the note that uh, Wall's looking to get a, a knee scope. That's, uh, you know, that's been out there. Well, it certainly uh, wouldn't make a lot of sense for you. I mean, given where Houston's at, it certainly wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to, to risk Wall doing anything if he um, – if he needs to have something done, he might as well yeah. get it done. 
And they might as well they might as well lean all the way into Kevin Porter Jr. playing a bunch of point guard and Augustine backing them up. So I think that's the way things are heading in, in Houston. Yep. John Walls had so I mean, I, I saw Haynes reported that and credit to him. I had also heard that a few weeks ago. Um uh so he's had so many surgeries. And my understanding is one of those deals where he's going to need a scope to clean some things up. You know, could it wait till after the season? Yeah. Might they decide let's just get it done sooner than later? Yeah. Man. Um, I just want to point out that the Bucks got a great A off season because they signed Giannis to extension. Right. That's sort of period, end of story. But they retrofitted their bench. And they, you know, they, they weren't able to execute the Bogdan thing for which they were penalized a second round pick uh, and then didn't get the player. And then two of the guys that they signed, they just offloaded. And um, the Augustine, Augustine was the biggest contract they gave out and it was a failure. So um, it's a pretty important year for the Bucks, And I don't, you know, it's not over, obviously, but their offseason last year didn't work out so well after Giannis, which I know is an asterisk, but. I want to point that out. Um, so with the trade, line, the trade deadline is in one week. Guys, I am spending hours a day on the phone with league executives. It started for me at 8 a.m. this morning. Um, I do not feel like there is a lot that's going to happen. Obviously, things change quickly. Um, is there anything that you guys are keeping an eye on heading into this next week that is worth passing on to our listeners? I mean, I would be obviously shocked if Victor Oladipo is still a Houston Rocket after the deadline. The problem is, uh, you know, they would love to trade him somewhere where his bird rights have value, but they're most likely going to have to trade him as a as a rental. And so there's a significant... I think he goes super cheap. I think yeah. you're getting two second-round picks or something for I mean, you obviously have to balance the trade, but I think you're going to end up seeing super cheap. Yeah, and, you know... Pr- probably some kind of reclamation uh, young flyer talent type of situation. Bond temps. Well, there's two things that I'm focused on. Uh, I am curious about the old depot situation to Tim's point, but um, every good team is looking for wing help and specifically combo forwards. So the Mm -hmm. two guys that I'm focused on from that standpoint are Aaron Gordon and Harrison Barnes. Mm -hmm. Uh, you talk to a lot of different executives and they have a lot of different thoughts on whether those guys will be moved or what the price will be. That's kind of all over the place. Um, and if either one of them does go to a good team, whether it's Boston or Miami or somewhere else, they could have a big impact on the races in both conferences. So I am curious about that. And I'm also very curious to see what happens in Toronto. Um, now the Raptors have lost six in a row. They were devastated by COVID just when they got back to 500 and things were starting to look pretty good. Uh, if they've lost to the Pistons twice, uh, they've, they've just had a really rough run of it, uh, with all their guys out, um, lost at, uh, lost at the buzzer last week to the Hawks in a heartbreaking loss. Um, and you know, we're now a week from the deadline and Kyle Lowry and Norm Powell are both going to be free agents this summer. And if Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and that Raptors front office decides to pivot into a cell mode, they could get a bunch of stuff back for those two guys and could kind of reposition themselves quickly to bounce back next year around a core of OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Fred Van Vliet, and still might even be able to make the playoffs without those guys this year, given kind of the weakness at the bottom of the East. I think if, even if they move on from those guys, if they get some stuff back for them in the trades, I think they'd probably feel like they could have a puncher's chance of winning a play-in game or two against the likes of Charlotte and New York and Chicago and Washington and um, you know whoever else is hanging out. Atlanta, whoever else is hanging out in that mix. So those are the things that I'm focused on. What happens to those combo forwards and what happens in Toronto? Because in a market without a lot of good players available, those are those are four guys that could really make a huge impact if they end up going somewhere else. Yeah, we, We've talked about Lowry to Philly. I think that one makes too much sense not to f- figure it out. Um, and then, you know, Barnes to Boston, I think it makes a lot of sense. But then, you know, I think the question for the Celtics is, are they are they good enough to justify uh, being that expensive? And that's something that's a real concern. I mean, I, they they see the books going ahead. They have Jalen Brown on a max, uh, a, not a max extension, but a you know twenty five million dollar a year or more extension. They've got Jason Tatum going into a max extension. They've got Kemba Walker on a max contract. They have to pay Marcus Smart a year. 
mean, they're they're getting expensive really fast. If I thought that they could effectively move off Kemba Walker, I think it would be different. But I just don't mm-hmm. know with Kemba's knee if they can. Um, two things I'll say. One, um, there's been a lot of teams, I think, who've had some interest in John Collins because he couldn't get a deal done with uh, with the Hawks and there's uncertainty about his future there. But the Hawks have won, at least as of this podcast, six games in a row. And they're playing well and they're making moves. And so for the Hawks to trade John Collins would be a very high bar at this point because they can't trade him just for draft picks. They'd have to trade him for replacement players. And that's just a hard deal, especially since he makes $4 million. Um, you have to make it a bigger trade. Well, and they're definitely a team that is, is I think, going to look to try to get better, too. Because, you know, Nate McMillan, I, I, they've obviously done great, like you said, since he took over. But this is a team that, you know, spent a lot of money in the offseason to try to make the playoffs. They moved on from Lloyd Pierce because they were not playing well, even uh, despite the injuries they had. They had a ton of losses late in games. They've turned that around lately. But I expect them to be aggressive to try to make that team better. And the other guy we haven't mentioned that we probably should, who has probably been talked about more than any other player in the league, in terms of trades over the past couple of months is Lonzo Ball. Really curious to see if he ends up leaving New Orleans or not. Um, you know, his name has bounced around with a bunch of different teams. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I, I still think could be a really nice fit somewhere, um, especially if he's playing next to a guy who, you know, is, he doesn't have to worry about scoring or anything, can kind of play off the ball. So um, I'm very curious to see what happens with him over By the next By the way, he's too. also a guy who I think is is a great fit playing next to Zion. Yes, I agree. Uh, so the other, t- I think the one of the most intriguing teams, though, to watch is Philadelphia because of all the contending teams. I mean, Milwaukee just made their move. Mm-hmm. Um, of all the contending teams, <laughs> Brooklyn made a fairly big move. Well, yes, but you know, not at the deadline. Um, of all the contending teams, they have the ammunition. Um, they have two first round picks. They can trade this year's in 2023. They have Tyrese Maxey who's an intriguing young player. They have uh, expiring contracts in Danny Green and Mike Scott that they can use to facilitate trades. They have the the batter to Thibel. do something. Uh, Thibel. Um, and so whether that's Lowry or whether that's something else, and they're looking around, Brooklyn looks awesome, and that should be their biggest concern. Um, but even if it's not Brooklyn, the concept that they have to compete with whoever wins the West if they want to do this, this is this is now. This is the time. And um, and they also have a shot caller in Daryl Morey who does not stand pat. Daryl Morey makes trades. And doesn't care about trading first-round picks. Right. Uh, so, um, we'll see when we, when we talk to you next week, the deadline will be over. And so we'll, we'll have a chance to look at it, but, uh, that's what, uh, we're all watching in the league, um, right now. All right. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Bontemps. Thank you to Tony for being our producer. Appreciate it. Everybody have a great end of the week and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>